podcast one production. Welcome to Brand New World, a podcast series designed for marketers. Hi, I'm Russell Howcroft, Chief Creative Officer at PwC Australia, and I, along with Southern Cross Stereo, have a passion for building brands and businesses. The COVID-19 global pandemic has created insane disruption across the world, none more so than in the marketing industry. We're being forced to find new ways to build brands and communicate to our customers as their behaviour changes to adapt to what we're calling the new normal. This podcast series will help you find opportunity amongst the chaos. Throughout the series, we'll talk to experts in the industry about how they're adapting to a brand new world. As the host, my role will be to tease out the insights, creativity and lessons that will help us all get through this together and most importantly, keep your brand and business in good stead for the future. The good news is, we're not all screwed. There is opportunity. In this episode, we are discussing why great creative and trusted brands play a critical role during a crisis and beyond. Our first guest on Brand New World is Adam Ferrier. He's a consumer psychologist, author, and co-founder of the agency Thinkabell. After only 18 months of opening their doors, Thinkabell were awarded the Ad News Agency of the Year in 2019 and the Mumbrella Emerging Agency of the Year. Adam is one of the most interesting and controversial voices in marketing worldwide. Welcome, Adam. Hi, Russ. How are you? I'm really good. Now, first thing we need to do is we need to do the right thing because Thinkabell um, and PwC, whom I work with, have got a relationship, don't they? Yeah, you have a a small share in the business and it's a passive investment, which means we can work with uh, PwC's auditing clients. And yeah, it's it's a good relationship, works well. So how are you, how are you coping in this COVID world? We're, to be honest, we're coping okay. So if we're, our business is servicing other businesses and our fortunes, to some extent, hinge on the fortunes of our clients. And COVID-19 is, is impacting the whole world in really, really different ways. Some businesses are uh, booming under these um, circumstances. Some businesses have been absolutely decimated. We just saw what happened with uh, Virgin Australia recently. Um and um, and then some businesses are still just kind of plodding along okay. And so our business has been impacted in, in different ways depending on, on our clients, if you like. So when you reflect on the advice you're giving clients right now, the core honesty of the advice that you're giving, give us an insight into that. To answer your question, I think the first thing is a sense of humility as opposed to what we know and what we don't know. I wrote an article predicting the toilet paper crisis would be over by Friday, and that was a few months ago. And uh, and I was horrifically uh, and embarrassingly uh, wrong. And so I think the first of us is just realising there's so much we don't know about this and then coming from a degree of uh, humility, I guess, for want of a better word. The second thing is, I really think you have to be honest with the. We well, have to really understand where the client's coming from. So look at how look at their category, and understand if their category has been positively impacted or negatively impacted. Is question one. Question two is, how long do you think that positive impact uh, is going to be? So if it's negatively impacted for a long time, then that leaves you obviously it's a whole lot of different conversations to if you're negatively impacted in a blip or even positively impacted on a blip, or even even if this is going to charge your business for, for a long time. So I think that's getting empathic with the client, where they're at, 
with their business and then starting to have some honest conversations around there. We do have one client, or we do have a couple of clients who have been negatively impacted for what seems like a long time. And we've had really honest conversations with our team about being honest with our clients about, um, you know, it's not going to help anyone to sugarcoat things. We have to be optimistic and... um, but we also have to kind of lean into the realities of various businesses and, and um, be honest about what, what can and can't be achieved. What can happen, of course, in the creative field is that we can think that creativity solves everything. I, it can. It does. Tell so, us more about that. So, so um, creativity does solve everything. So uh, as a ridiculous example, there's a, a young chap in our agency called Tom Visard. Uh, who has expressed his love for Dyson in a little online film that is hilarious and I love it and it's just the most beautiful little thing. At the other end of creativity, you've got a whole bunch of the world's uh, best scientists uh, working together trying to come up with a a vaccine for for COVID-19 and they're putting together their pre-existing knowledge and they're trying to work out a new new solution. That, to me, is creativity. So... uh, to me, it's all... So if creativity is just putting together existing information into new ways um, and it solves big, profound things like COVID-19 or it provides little inspirations of, of little moments of joy like Tom's love for Dyson, I think now is a time for creativity to flourish and at an agency and client level, that's the one thing that I'm constantly telling my our team internally, you know, this is a time for Thinkabell to kind of express creativity in any way you want, but also for our clients, like look creatively for solutions, no matter where they are in that kind of quadrant between positive and negative, short and long term. There are creative solutions available, but not, you know, I'm not talking about ads or talking about, you yeah. know, dicky things or whatever. I'm just talking about um, trying to find solutions to to existing problems. Yes. We've got a client, if you don't mind me talking about some of these things, uh, called Lifeline. Uh, and Lifeline has ha- been inundated with phone calls to its service and they need to do some serious fundraising in order to uh, support the, the actual requirements on the business. And so we've just developed an idea for them where we've gone around to all the, different, all the big advertisers in town and said, do you mind donating your 30-second TV ads to Lifeline to raise awareness that uh, every 30 seconds somebody calls Lifeline in help. And all the corporates have been, you know, some of them, like people like um, uh, Westpac and Bunnings, within an hour or two of sending an email, we've got a positive reply back saying, yep, love it, it's gone up the chain, CEO signed it off, fantastic, great cause, bang, we're in. And that's just, mm-hmm. a, that's just a really nice creative solution to help raise awareness for Lifeline without it costing Lifeline anything. So, you know, I think these kind of solutions are all over the place, but they're certainly not in, you know, and that, the, but they can be in ads as well. They can be in, in anything. Yeah. I don't want to rule that out. I don't want to disparage the role of that. You know, it's still a large part of what the industry does. So, you know, it can exist anywhere in any form. And there has been some wonderful advertising being produced over the last, few weeks, um, both globally and locally. Um, at, a, at a really, I suppose, tactical level, it's been interesting to see major brands using full-page press ads. Well, advertising does act as a, as a strong signal of reliability, dependability, and then if you put stuff, make that tangible, put it into full-page press ads, then it signals to a lot of people at the same time 
that things are okay or that we're dependable or we've got this. And so therefore, I think you're seeing a lot of people using advertising to communicate a sense of stability, um, almost public service in its like, in its form, if you like. But, you know, you also see creativity with all the gin manufacturers of the world suddenly thinking, bugger it, let's get into the hand sanitization business and create, yeah. the, create the first glut ever the world's ever seen of, of hand sanitizer. Uh, you know, right, right. that's equally, equally as impressive. But it is interesting because your insight around the, yes, the full-page press ad around stability, that is that is 100% what's going on. For me, it was yeah. fascinating with uh, the Farmers Federation. I think it was maybe the second weekend of lockdown, they ran a, yes, a full-page press ad. And it was, in effect, it said, don't worry, Australia, we, we produce enough food to feed 75 million people. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, beautiful, and, yeah. and really good, really good use of a medium. Um, and you see our supermarkets as well using the using press in the same kind of way. It's just talking, it's kind of almost becoming pu- public service announcements as their role in society changes somewhat to just being places where you pick up the fruit and veg. They've become the cornerstone of our society, one of a few places we can go. And yep. they've been elevated quite a few rungs higher. And thinking, shit, you know, we've got to take. They've got to take security, mental health, all of that kind of stuff really, really seriously. And so giving kind of public service announcements through mediums like press, great, good on them. Yeah, and, of course, audio mediums and TV mediums, etc. right? So the, the opportunity right now, uh, because audiences are growing across all media, there is an interesting advertising opportunity, but at the same time you've got advertising budgets going the other way. So tell us about your experience at Thinkabell when it comes to clients and their ad budgets. So well, I'm on the board of a thing called the Public Interest Journalism Initiative. One of the things that we're trying to do there is divest or reinvest money back into journalism that's getting sucked away by um, a couple of very well-known large tech companies. And so we've just had, we've just had a few recent wins there. At the moment, I think what's interesting is how many opportunities there are for brands to take advantage of a media, what's the opposite of a media saturated market, a media barren market where there's not many people advertising. So the, so the rates for everything have decreased. And, you know, Byron Sharp, Mark Ritson, so people who really know about this kind of stuff will tell you that big brands build in, in a depression and, and maintaining salience during times when other people aren't advertising is the way to grow a brand so you don't have to kind of invest heavily after the um, depression or that volatile period of time. So uh, if you've got the money, people, you know, obviously people should be maintaining salience and should be advertising and the rates are cheap. But if there's no consumer demand, why advertise? Uh, because advertising has a long-term effect as well as a short-term effect. So if there's no consumer demand, right, so every single ad you place has a short-term effect, what do people do right now? But it has a long-term effect. So the advertising you're doing right now is for three months, six months, one year's time. So it still has a cumulative effect over time. If you don't advertise right now, when you do start advertising again in six months' time, you're going to have to reinvest three times as much to to build up the saliency that you could have had if you just dripped your dripped your ads in now over this time. It's really hard to win that argument though, isn't it, with the CEO and the CFO? It depends if the CEO understands brand or not. If a CEO doesn't understand how to build a brand, it's hard to win the argument. If a CEO knows how to build a brand, it does. And that brings me on to another pet topic I love, which is 
the chief marketing officer becoming the CEO, we're starting to see that a lot more often with marketing people being bought onto boards or bought into CEO positions because they get brand building. And at the end of the day, the brand is the most important thing uh, all of these businesses have. So every year, the Edelman Trust Survey comes out. Um, and every year over certainly, certainly recent memory, it's like, oh my God, institutional trust has gone down again. Institutional trust, government, trust in the media, trust in advertising, etc. What do you think is going to happen? So let's let's fast forward. It's January, February next year. Edelman Trust comes out. What do you think is going to happen to institutional trust next time round? Well, it's a good question. Um, I don't know if the foundations for the question are accurate, though. So uh, I don't know how much validity certain people have in the Edelman Trust Barometer. But let's imagine. Uh, the trust in institutions has been going down. There is a, it, it does feel like a, for whatever reason, by hook or by crook, uh, corporate brands are stepping into the role that, that um, other institutions used to have in our society. Like you see what's happening with the Catholic Church, you see the fact that we've had seven or eight different uh, prime ministers in Australia in the last X years. Blind trust in institutions is disappearing and then corporate Brands are stepping into that role and trying to lead society in various ways. The more single-minded they can be on that and the more they can do that from an authentic point of view that reflects what their brand stands for, I think the more um, people trust those particular brands. And, you know, I think the world example, the world's best example of this is Nike. Now, it's a, it's a clothing company, basically, a sports apparel company. So it's never going to go ballistic on the trust index because the things that go really high on the trust index are things that are normally associated more with necessities and the kind of things like sporting apparel and sporting goods. But um, they are so true to their brand in, in all the different things that they choose to, um, to pick at in society or the issues they, they choose to address that I think people know exactly what to expect from Nike and therefore um, the trust goes higher. So, you know, a brand is just a promise kept. And if you keep on delivering on that promise and you keep on being consistent with it, both at a, at a rational and an emotional level, then people will trust you because they know where that brand is coming from. So the two words of um, 2020, no doubt, are going to be collaboration and pivot. I'll chuck a third in there, unprecedented. Well, yeah. That's true. <laughs> I think uh, unprecedented, of course, is describing the times. But I think that the the tactic to deal with the times, um, it does appear to be around collaboration and this idea of pivot. Now, I know there's sort of there's something of a cliche when I say that. However, I've certainly experienced it in my workplace. I'm wondering whether you've got some examples of it happening in yours. In, collaboration's hard because uh, for me to talk about because I think, if anything, my agency and our approach is sometimes overly collaborative. And I think, um, you know, collaboration gets you a long way, but sometimes you just need somebody to say, nah, that's it. That's what we're doing. We're going in that direction and just being really autocratic about it. And that could be that could be a creative solution or a strategy or sometimes you just need someone to say, that's it, do that, that's what we're doing. And right. people kind of, I think, you know, when you see that, especially in these kind of times, people go, wow, cool, I'm on board. Uh, so yeah. enough gusto. Uh, with, the yeah. with the pivot thing, yeah, totally. It's, you know, pivot as much as you like, but you need to stay true to 
what the brand's about because you don't want to, you, you need to have some form of long-term strategy or long, long-term understanding of what the brand's about. I guess the more emotional that, that promise is, the more it allows you to pivot and play in different things and do and do different things while still staying true to what the brand promise is. Are you excited about what's going on? Yeah, I'm, I am. And I know that with all with the, all due respect to the frontline people have to deal with it and for the people who, who have lost loved ones and so forth, I'm very excited by these times because I find it fascinating and I find it really interesting observing humanity and the humanity we're seeing, whether it be, you know, uh, the bear hunt and bears in the window or or people just smiling to each other on the streets, watching the humanity seep out of these this over-controlled situation we're in is both beautiful and fascinating. I also think, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, as I, which is not a particularly profound quote or that difficult to remember, but um, <laughs> I, think, I think in these times, I'm thinking watching the creativity flourish yeah. Is unreal, and you know, yeah, yeah. So, 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 I am. I'm loving. I'm, I'm loving it. Even though I don't mean that to sound um, irresponsible. No, I, I understand because there is the opportunity for people to invent new ways to solve problems, to communicate with each other, and of course, people have got the time to actually rest and think. Um, and through that, just that process, I am. Um, personally experiencing and in my small world experiencing lots of great creativity. So tell us what are the biggest opportunities that you see for brands right now? Um, the biggest opportunity is to maintain salience when lots of brands are going quiet, irrespective of where you are in that quadrant. Um, so so be seen is, number is I think, number one. Number two, there's a good opportunity, there's a really good opportunity to offer people something. So they either want some form of charm or sense of fun or everyday little smile in these kind of lines. So do yeah. that or provide yeah. some form of utility. So we're about to do uh, something called quarantine cuisine with somebody who's going to teach us all uh, how, how, to, how to cook in these circumstances. That'll be out um, and you'll be able to follow that along. So give people utility or just put a bloody smile on their face. And if you can't do either of those things, just advertise. Yeah. What an opportunity for, as you say, put a smile on people's face. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Comedy used to play quite a strong role in advertising, um, and yet there hasn't been a whole lot of that over the last decade. No, it's, um, it comes back to that whole thing. It's hard to storyboard a smile and all that kind of shit about good ideas getting uh, lost in research and having to be overanalyzed. But basically, if you can... Um, Appeal to people's emotions and make them laugh. You can get it's much easier to get a brand impression and a brand message stuck into people's heads, and it's a hard it's a hard argument to have. So obviously, consumers are behaving in a different way right now because we have to. What do you think is going to be long lasting versus just about COVID? That's an interesting question, and it depends a little bit on how long this goes on for. So. Humans are very, very good at having an optimism bias and forgetting tragedies and forgetting big, bad things really, really quickly. We're we're wired to to do that. And so, therefore, most of the time, these things just are a blip on our behaviour. So, you know, the the example I like to use is Samsung's phones were literally exploding in people's pockets um, and, you know, while the share price was just going through the roof. 
so people that don't care, they can dismiss these things. However, converse to that is you see areas that were really badly affected during the Holocaust and they're still um, economically and socially depressed areas because the trauma that was experienced there not only affected those people, it becomes intergenerational trauma. And so I have no idea what the long-lasting impact is. It depends on how traumatic this is for how many people and for how long, and then, then we'll start to understand from there. What's your secret sauce? Uh, I, reckon, I, I reckon there's two. Number one, go deep on something. So number one, number one, have a deep, passionate interest. And mine is forensic psychology. And I'm still talking about it. You know, I've still got uh, lots of forensic art and lots of references. And it's just amazing. My brain just kind of dips into there for inspiration, into that pool of understanding of humanity. And I know lots of people don't. And so that, I think, allows me to have a different point of view on certain things. So go deep into one particular area. And then number two is just have light touch and stay lateral. And then you can just make connections wherever you like. So that's that's how I'd answer that. And, and optimism. I'm quite optimistic, although I'm not particularly social. So it comes across as sometimes I'm not, but I am. So that book uh, that you um, recently launched, you actually were imploring the brand marketer to stop listening to their customer. What the hell were you talking about? Um, I think at the moment, like, like good marketing has always been a function of uh, marrying what people want with what you do, find the intersection of those two things, create a brand and sell it. What's happening at the moment is everyone is listening to the customer over and over again because we have all this data, all these different ways to understand the customer, understand you know consumer journeys, do human-centred design, all of this kind of palaver. And I think while we're doing all of this, people have taken their eye off the most important thing that a business has, which is the brand and what the brand stands for, making sure everything you do is true to that. And so it was a request from marketers to stop listening to the customer, try hearing your brand instead, at least for a little while. And then if you really do understand your brand, you can then understand what where all this customer insight comes from and what it's trying to build. Without doing that, without understanding your brand, all the customer insight will make will take you into a generic world because yeah. customer insights are generic because people don't need your brand. They need the category your brand exists in. They don't need your, your brand of car. They need a car. They don't need your uh, certain type of drink. They need a, they need a mm-hmm. soft drink to quench their thirst. So the more you understand the brand, the more you understand the category, but the, the, the more it can make your brand generic because you start to listen to category needs versus what your brand stands for. Let's talk about marketing services. So 2022, what does it look like compared to today? I reckon it'll continue to amalgamate. I reckon the holding companies will continue to struggle. The consultancies will continue to acquire... Um, and then within that, so it'll kind of get more and more consolidated. And then within that, the independent kind of agencies and independent holding companies and so forth will start to thrive as well. So it should be no different to other any other market where you see a sense of consolidation and then lots of interesting stuff happening within the fringes. Okay, let's talk future of media. How do you see TV going? Uh, amazingly, because um, it just means, just have to redefine what TV means a little bit. Uh, long form video, uh, video content supported by advertising uh, in some way or supported by brands, paying for it, yeah, definitely. Uh, outdoor? 
obviously uh, we'll continue to live well. De- depends right. how long coronavirus right. lasts. Yeah. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And the role of audio? Uh same, same as video, but without pictures. Like, we want to be entertained. We want to be drawn together. I do think it's interesting in the whole world of the, the intimacy, the mass intimacy of things like podcasts I find really interesting. So you can have a very intimate experience but feel like you're part of a collective with a whole bunch of people doing the same thing. I find that mass intimacy area, um, you know, good. And the interesting thing is, People, people want to advertise not just for the consumer, but they want to advertise in, a, in an environment that represents something about their brand. So it's a, quite a controlled environment yep. to put advertising in. Yes, I agree. Well, let's hope this podcast becomes part of the conversation. Adam, thanks for your time. That was fun. Thank you, Russ. Good on you. Our next conversation on Brand New World is with the preeminent Peter Field. Talk to you then. Brand New World is a Podcast One Australia production. Produced by Dave Zwolenski and Matthew Dwyer. 